to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who's always a knockout. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Always. I appreciate that, my friend. That's a nice way to start the show. I feel like it's a high compliment, even though I know what you meant in terms of the Champions League. I want to start with a smile. <laughs> yeah, so we are here to review um, Atletico Madrid versus Liverpool mm-hmm. and Borussia Dortmund versus PSG. G. Yes. Um, we watched mostly Dortmund PSG at we first. Did. Then we went back and rewatched um, Li- uh, Atletico Liverpool. That's going to be up first. Yes. One nil to Atletico. Liverpool lost. I can't remember the last time that happened. I think it's been a hundred years since Liverpool yeah, lost a soccer match. And that game was both dramatic and dull at the same time. Yeah. That draw, I guess. Draw. It was draw. Draul. I don't know what that would be, but yeah, I take your point. Because it was Spanish, so yeah, Draul. I think it was basically. Well done. Well done. That was good. Um, I think it's basically because Atleti did pretty much what you thought they were going to do. Liverpool tried to do the things that we expected Liverpool to do. I think the main difference is that Atleti went up one 0 in the fourth minute. Yeah. And so at that point, you made this point off the air, and I'm stealing it because it's that good. Is that I think at that point Atleti no longer have to counterattack, and so I think Liverpool sort of kept expecting Atleti to try to go at them and try to get another goal. Yeah. And in reality, I think Atletico were more than content to not commit numbers forward unless they absolutely needed They to. had no need to counterattack, nope. right? They just had to defend that 1-0 lead, which they got in the fourth minute. Yeah. Shall we start with the um, the Atleti goal? Because really, this really did turn this tie um, upside down. It did. I, I really think so. Mm-hmm. Um, so and also frowns upside down. I want to start with how, how it was conceded. Yes. It was conceded, this corner kick that Atleti scored off of, with the Virgil van Dijk mistake. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, we and think I'm just letting that hang in the air a second. It's strange, right? Because it's such a rare event. It's a strange, uh, like, 60 seconds for Virgil van Dijk because it's a cross that comes in from Atleti. He jumps to meet it, and I think it deflects off of him, goes out of bounds for a throw yeah. on the opposite side of the field. So, so maybe Morata heads it, but mm. then it deflects off of van Dijk, yeah. and so they, like, and, they both appeal for it. And you can tell it's a murky decision because the AR doesn't point the flag one direction or the other, but does that thing where they'll sort of, like, lift it a little bit to show, like, I think it went this way? Yeah, yeah. And he, in Pointing, for the ref to decide. Yeah, and he's pointing in the direction of Liverpool. So I think all of Liverpool think it's going to be a Liverpool throw. Yeah. They cut to the replay, which usually means like, oh, the defensive team now have the ball. We can show a replay. And then they cut back really fast because the ball's underway because Atleti mm-hmm. have taken the throw. So producers were just as confused. Yes, and I think maybe the center official overruled. Maybe the AR missed the flick because it does look like it hit Virgil van Dijk. It does look like it should have yeah. been Atleti's throw. And so then I think because Liverpool are sort of discombobulated, ball comes in. Virgil van Dijk doesn't shape the really Salco well. cross, Yeah, I, think so. I mean, or maybe it's a cross. Maybe it's just like, oh, wrong foot Virgil van Dijk. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because it's a weird cross. It's low. But because van Dijk uh, is not left-footed and is kind of shaped the wrong way, instead of putting out for throwing or putting it out up the field, he instead puts it out for a corner. Yeah, to get deep on the technique, I would argue his hips are facing the sideline. Mm-hmm. And he's right-footed, yeah. and he tries to like swivel and clear with his right foot, and he just doesn't get enough swivel. I apologize. So he for ends this. up he ends up putting it yeah. behind uh, behind for a corner. His hips did not lie. His hips did not lie, but <laughs> I, they weren't. I feel correct. bad about that. But yes. They weren't correct either. They were not. Um, Nor was I, Liverpool's defending. We think. Ooh, oh, I just want to point one thing mm. out though. I'm really confident that Van Dijk feels really bad about this mistake yes. because mm. there's a cutaway just before the corner kick is taken, and you see him doing a thing where he crouches and kind of does a a few slaps on his thighs, and I'm pretty confident. This is a technique that a lot of professional footballers use, mm. where if you've made a mistake, you have a sort of 
um, a technique or almost like a brush it off your shoulder type thing that you do mm-hmm. to reset. You, yeah. The, the uh, analogy you made was uh, when the dog shakes itself, yeah. it's because it's doing a, a reset. Right? Yeah. Soccer players are taught to do a similar thing if they feel they've made a mistake. So that's my evidence that Van Dyke feels bad about that. And I know that we go very deep on stuff and people might think like what he taps his legs like he's maybe just shaking it off or something like that. He's just trying to make sure his legs are loose. But when he does it, if you see it, it's a sequence. It's like yeah. front of leg, back of leg, back of one, front of one, front of one, back of one. Like yeah. it, it's a it's a pattern that is clear a way to like sort of reset get his brain back into it yep and he's okay I guess in the ensuing corner because there's lots of other stuff going on (laughs) and it's tough to say really what who is at fault what goes wrong here other than it's Liverpool in a zone it's Atleti committing some numbers but not that many numbers and maybe it's just one of those cases of when if you're a Liverpool player and it's not 8v8 in the box everybody is sort of like well I guess I'm not man marking so I guess I'll attack the ball and they do have a bunch of people go meet it instead of everybody sort of keeping in their space and you know I'm a a defender of zonal marking I think it really can work and works a lot of the time but I think the thing that goes wrong here is at least three players half jump for the ball yes Um, I want to say Wijnaldum uh, Firmino Robertson kind of comes back a little bit he's I think also protecting the near post he's in there too alright yeah. I want to say there's one more maybe mm-hmm. Gomez and they all sort of no one fully jumps and attacks right. the ball everybody sort of half jumps and maybe it's attacks diffusion the of responsibility ball. a little it bit it is diffusion of yeah. responsibility yeah Saul leaps mm-hmm. um, I want to say Savage leaps neither of them get it and he just lands and hits Fabinho in the foot mm-hmm. um, and rolls through for Saul to basically, because he reacts quick, to have not yeah. a tap-in, but it's like a, he can get there first yeah. and, and, uh, and lift it in. And because he does rise to meet that ball. He, he doesn't get on the end of it. But it's a credit to him that he basically lands and turns because he's now facing the wrong way. And that is immediately alive to the ball and hits yeah. it to the net. I would say maybe if you need an evidence of how Liverpool are a little bit discombobulated in this moment, I think Fabinho is so focused on who am I supposed to be marking somebody? Should I be paying attention to somebody else? What is He's supposed to be marking anyone because it's a zone, right? But yeah, I think what I mean just is that he's not focused on the ball coming in. He's focused on everything going around. So he's looking around and thus doesn't see the ball come in and hit his own foot. Yeah. And normally, I think just normally at this level of soccer, Mm -hmm. someone gets to the ball. Either a defender heads it away Mm -hmm. or a striker has a flick on or heads it at goal. The rarest thing that can happen is everybody misses. Yeah. Right? And I think that's the surprise for Fabinho is that no one connected with the ball. Yeah. I mean, because it's it's nothing particularly special. It's a good good ball in from Koke. It's out swinging. It's kind of low. It's hit with some power. But it's not some disguised pattern of play where you've got some, like, master set piece theater. I think it's just put it in the mixer and we'll see what happens. But but I also think a little bit of it is that Atleti don't want to get caught out. Sam Tai, our friend, tweeted this. One you can find it on Twitter. We retweeted it that like Atleti only have four in the box. They have Koke taking it, and then they have three other players sort of ringing the 18 yard box, yeah. clearly set to defend against the Liverpool counter off of that corner. After seeing Sam's tweet, I, I put my notes: Atleti anti counter ring. Yes, yes, that's what it is. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, and it's a smart way to approach it. It might even be four in there plus Koke. It kind of arcs around to him, so yeah. it's a good way to have like a pr- like protective net. Yes, and, which is, I think yes, also, so any burst forward from Liverpool from the corner kick. Um, um, Atleti would stop it dead, stop yeah. it there. They would close the net. Yeah, and it's a smart, proactive way to Catch it like a with... salmon. <laughs> yes, perfect. Because like, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the day, that I think only like one in eight corners leads to a shot on target, and then of those, only like one in eight of those leads to a goal. Yeah, yeah. So it makes sense to sort of and set one up... One in three leads to a Liverpool counterattack. There we go. <laughs> so I think it makes sense to set up the way Atleti did, of uh, you catch that loose ball if it spills out, and then you recycle possession, and best case scenario is Sewell's alive to a loose ball, and he scores, and now you're 1-0 ahead in the fourth minute. One nil in the fourth minute at home for Atletico Madrid and then they they keep doing the defensive 4-4-2 that, that I think they originally mm-hmm. planned on but maybe with less pressure 
to counterattack, which actually means that their 442 is even more effective because they never have to break the shape right. to go chasing things to try and start attacks, right? So can we quickly diagram out why the Atleti 442 is was so effect is and was so effective? Yeah. I mean I mean first of all it's just what you talked about in the preview. It's a 442, it's very well drilled, they stay compact, they stay relatively narrow, they're in and so it's really difficult to play through the middle. And they also do a good job of not getting distracted. So Firmino kept after it was clear that he wasn't going to get sort of service over the top. He wasn't going to be able to stretch that back line. He starts dropping in more and more, and occasionally he gets the ball, but for the most part, he's open but doesn't get it, and Atleti aren't overly focused on him. They're not trying to track. He doesn't pull a center back out, or one of those center midfielders doesn't drop onto him. That's the key, right? They never lose shape because no one's ever thinking, oh, I've got to go with Firmino, or I've got to go with Andy Robertson. Mm -hmm. The the key, the prime directive for Atletico Madrid is stay in mm-hmm. the tight, compact 4-4-2. If no one breaks... It's like a safety in numbers, right? If no one breaks the shape, then we have the shape and the shape is protecting the goal. Yeah. And, and then when you have that shape, you can also sort of maybe give little indicators like we know what you're trying to do Liverpool because there's a couple <laughs> different instances in the first half there's one in particular when like Virgil van Dijk is clearly looking to play to Andy Robertson out on the left he wants to hit that first time and I think it's Koke just sort of does like a little hop to his right like one yard and yeah. that's enough for Virgil van Dijk to know like okay they're aware of what I'm trying to do that ball's not on and instead he goes lateral to Joe Gomez yep. and then Joe Gomez eventually plays it forward to Andy Robertson but again that like additional link in the sequence negates a lot of the sort of quick switches of play and quick movement of the ball that Liverpool tend to go for. And here's the key to it all. What, everything you just described is 100% accurate. There's never any pressure on the defender with the ball. No. So, right, so Van Dijk's allowed to have the ball. Joe Gomez is allowed to have the ball. If they're in the defensive third, like Andy Robertson or Trent Alexander-Arnold, or if Henderson or Wijnaldum have dropped in, they're allowed to have the ball and not have an Atleti player in their face. Because mm-hmm. the Atleti players aren't focused on winning the ball back from you until you're almost at the top of their area, right? They're mostly just focused on staying back and denying you a pass. So you can stand there with the ball, looking around, or waving your arms like Van Dyke was forced to do a few times. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't have a pass, they're happy for you to have the ball. Yeah. Especially, again, because they're 1-0 up. <laughs> and so, that's the other thing, I think, because they're happy for Liverpool to just sort of move the ball laterally, and Liverpool seemed okay with doing that, I think a big part of that is because Liverpool are used to a system in which they move the ball, they move the ball, they move the ball, and even if they've only moved from left to right, they've still pulled out a couple players from the opposite team and they can move it back centrally. Now somebody else moves out but now there's space in behind and so they can exploit that. And here it almost felt like they would eventually string some passes together to get it to the other side and they would sort of turn and be like, ha-ha! And Atleti were still in the exact shape they wanted to be. Atleti, they keep the shape and they march over to the side Mm -hmm. you're on so they squeeze that side and you can, okay, we'll switch it to the other side. Even if they do a big Trent to Andy switch, the Mm -hmm. famous TAA to Andy Robertson switch, Atleti just march over The tar switch. The tar switch, they just march over to the other side and then you're back where you started just in a mirror image and there's no way through and I actually think this got in Liverpool players heads yes I agree because I think the next step in that logically is and this is where I think City sometimes excel I think it's where Barcelona excel because they have Lionel Messi Granted, it's not there because it's mm-hmm. a little messy, but eventually you need a player to sort of drive at that defense. Yeah. You have to sort of turn and go at Atleti and just pull somebody out. Just try to make something happen or maybe driving at them a little bit. Uh, maybe they back off a little bit more and now you've got a little bit more space. But it seemed like Liverpool were very hesitant to They're conservative. Risk. Yeah, they didn't want to risk anything. And to me, it felt like they were still sort of in the mindset of we don't want to get hit on the brakes from Atletico Madrid, so we don't want to make any mistakes here and kind of weren't 
taking into account that they were already 1-0 down and Atleti were not yeah. going to be pouncing on the ball and trying to counter aggressively. Do you think the mindset was that Liverpool were slightly saying, all right, Atleti have this really good defensive setup, but we're going to have no turnovers. Don't give them the ball back. Mm-hmm. Don't let them counterattack us. And kind of forgot that once Atleti go 1-0 up, Atleti don't need to counterattack and they're happy for you to play conservatively. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like Atleti mesmerise you into playing more and more conservatively because the backwards pass is always on, the safe pass is always on. And we saw players who normally turn and go at people like Mohamed Salah yep. receive the ball turn and turn back and play it backwards yep. and not even think about running at the Atleti defence. Yeah, and even in the second half, there's like the one that stands out of my mind is Fabinho gets the ball, he does turn, he takes a stride forward, he has, I believe, Wijnaldum, like central, he could play a lateral ball, Wijnaldum then has 10 yards of space, he could drive into that one, maybe that creates space and he can find somebody else, and Fabinho sort of hesitates, cuts back, plays it back to Virgil van Dijk, and the sequence resumes again. And it's there was none of that sort of, okay, I'm going to be the one to go at the defence, I'm going to kind of take people on, I'm going to be a bit more aggressive in my dribbling, and instead, the aggression sort of became, oh, we've bumped into an Atleti player and they've fallen over. Yeah. Um, and I think that maybe is a little bit uh, harsh to Atleti because I think there were moments when maybe there was an elbow a little bit high. But we know from some of the post-match press conferences that yes. the Liverpool f- players felt like they were able to do this because they got a... I, my words here, like a fortunate goal inside four minutes. Then they had this great atmosphere in this home crowd that kept them going. And then they had a little bit of drama and a little bit of gamesmanship to frustrate us and slow us down. And they kept falling over and somehow getting calls. Yeah, I, I saw a quote. Uh, it was Melissa Reddy reported a Jurgen Klopp quote that the reason he took Stoudjamane off at half time, I thought, I thought maybe fitness, right? Because mm-hmm. he's just back from injury, was that he'd already got that one yellow for the elbow on Vasalko, mm-hmm. um, and that he thought that if Stoudjamane took a deep breath, then some Atletico yeah. players might fall over, and he gets the second. And Yeloso Divock Origi comes on to replace him at half time. I get the logic. It mm. might, 90 minutes later after the second leg, this might all make sense. Yeah. But at the time, it feels like, oh, Atleti have won that battle. They've taken one of your best, maybe your best attacker, mm-hmm. some people think, Sajamane. They've removed him from the game. Yeah, and, and I think right there, I'm going to maybe give a little bit of credit that maybe it's not due, but to me, I think it makes sense that I think that's Jurgen Klopp being a very smart manager, not just for that Seen substitution. The long game? Well, yes, but like the way he explained that was like, oh, like Sajamane was, it was unfair. Like, you know, if he, if he breathed too hard, they'd fall over. And in reality, I think if you know, if I raise my elbow, I've gotten a yellow, they're going to give that. He did do it again in that first half. And there was that moment yes. when that elbow goes up again and you can see all the Atleti players saying like two, 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 like mm-hmm. they're holding up two fingers. And I think Jurgen Klopp maybe thought, I don't want to run that, run, run that risk of maybe Sajamani does that again, and this time it is a second yellow. That's a good point. But instead of yeah. saying, yeah, I took him off because he was on risk and he was a little bit out of control, you instead say, oh, they were dramatic and overly overly Klopp. like sensitive. Club trick me. That's what I'm he saying. got me. That yeah. makes him a really good coach, mm-hmm. the way that he protects his players by putting the blame at Atletico, yeah. and then uh, non-smart people like me mm-hmm. totally fall for it and yeah. look at it as Atletico's problem. No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're, you're plenty smart, but I think I think you see the way... Like, Andy, I don't need to reassure you. <laughs> you see the way Andy Robertson responded, which is that I do think... I think Atleti got under the skin. I think it was a sort of frustrating game for Liverpool, which is what they're trying to do. They're trying to make you mad so you make stupid decisions. And instead, I think there's a lot of emphasis on the home atmosphere, the home crowd, how loud they were, how much energy that brought, but that we're going to get that too in the second leg at Anfield, and then we'll see how things go. I mean... I don't know what's going to happen in the second leg. I will say the only chance Liverpool really had, and bear in mind, they had zero shots on target today, which I think is, I think already yeah. it was only the second time that had ever happened under Jurgen Klopp. The only good chance I can remember is the Salah one, mm-hmm. where it's crossed to the far post. And when you look back, uh, Vesalko was mm-hmm. out of position. He had left the, the two blocks of four. He'd left it and gone, uh, got pulled out wide, yeah. right? Then Salah exploits that space and finds, makes himself a chance. What are the chances that Atletico make another mistake? Like, does the Liverpool 
Liverpool crowd actually get in your head that much that you can't stick to the game plan? The, the narrative I've seen, again, from Sam Tai is that historically away from home, I guess Atleti are not quite as strong as they are. We don't have to believe everything Sam Tai says. We don't. I think he, he wrote a, a series of optimistic team, uh, optimistic tweets for every single one of the teams that played okay. today about reasons for optimism. But should, I we, think, should we just link to his Twitter account? Yeah, why not? <laughs> no, but sure what, what I would say, though, is that like I would take that, for Atleti, I would take that as a positive sign of how good they were defensively. But for Liverpool fans, I would point out that the one time we saw Atleti sort of not have that tight shape, Sadio Mane found, or excuse me, Mohamed Salah found that space and yeah. they found uh, Mohamed Salah and the shot doesn't quite come off, but it still was a like, if you give them an opportunity, Liverpool tend to be able to find that vulnerability. So there's a, I feel like there's a decent chance Atleti give them at least one more vulnerability and I feel like at home, maybe Liverpool take that one and then it's all to play for. So Liverpool certainly won't want to mail in that performance. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, Daryl. But if our listeners were looking to mail something in without leaving the comfort of their own home, they could use today's sponsor, Stamps.com. They could. And if Liverpool were going to mail in that performance, it would be even more expensive because postage rates have gone up again. Thankfully, Stamps.com eases the pain with big discounts off post office retail rates. With Stamps.com, you save $0.05 cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off shipping rate. That kind of savings really adds up, especially for a small business like Liverpool Football Club. If you're sending, or more realistically, like Total Soccer Show. I mean, you know, if Liverpool are sending out like 6 million letters in response to fan mail, 6 million <laughs> times $0.05, cents, it adds up there. I'm not going to yeah. do the math, but I think it's $30 million? They could eventually... 300000 something like that. They could buy another Andy Robertson. Yes. Yeah, perfectly. <laughs> you could buy a couple Andy Robertsons. And you, and you would rather do that, I think, than you've got uh, an extra reserve there for their next leg. So it all makes sense. Stamps.com, saving money, helping Liverpool find ways to win. Stamps.com brings all the services of the US Postal Service right to your computer. doesn't matter if you're a small office sending invoices, we mm-hmm. do that, or an online seller shipping out products, we have done that, mm-hmm. or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, we have not done that. We don't have the manpower. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. We did send out Total Soccer Show t-shirts back in the day mm-hmm. using Stamps.com and the digital scale. And if you recall, uh, we are both night owls and we tend to do that sort of shipping at night yeah. uh, and you do have 24-7 access via stamps.com so any letter any package any class of mail anywhere you want to send it uh, at any hour you can do so with stamps.com there was an REM song about us it was called night shipping <laughs> well done sir I don't even know that song but I'm going to believe it's real really it's towards the end of the uh, the Everybody Hurts album. Is it automatic for the people? Right now, our listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitments. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in TSS. One more time, that's stamps.com and enter TSS. Thank you very much to stamps.com excuse me, for sponsoring today's episode. Now, Mr. Grove, we've got another, another game to talk about, and there's an American involved, and I'm very excited about it. I wasn't sure Gio Rainey would get on the field. Yeah for this but Dortmund versus PSG Taylor guaranteed goals he looked very wrong in the first half and then things lit up basically when Gio Reyna came on the field this whole game opened up I think that's more of a coincidence. It was Torgan Hazard's fault. It's very clear <laughs> that he did not want goals to happen. He wanted me to be wrong. Gio Reyna, our countryman, wanted me to be right. And in the end, I was. Before we talk about those three goals, sure. it finished 2-1 mm-hmm. to Borussia Dortmund. Why was the first half so... It wasn't boring, actually. It was an interesting yeah. tactical battle. Jadon Sancho had a few half chances. But why was this game a lot 
tighter than mm-hmm. you hoped it would be. I think it's a little bit Borussia Dortmund and a lot bit PSG. Uh, okay. Because I do think Borussia Dortmund were aware of the pace of, say, Kylian Mbappe or Neymar or Angelique Maria. Oh, so, so they've, do, they've watched soccer. Yeah, right. So I do think that they didn't play quite as high of a line. I think they had their midfield sit in a little bit more just yeah. to make sure there weren't, weren't as many clear-cut counter-attacking opportunities. I like that you named all three, but it's really Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, right? You make one. special considerations for Kylian Mbappe. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's telling that, yes, he's involved in the goal for different reasons because he actually has to drop deep to get the ball. But aside from that, he was pretty ineffective in this one. There's the ball through for him that Berkey comes off his line. That's not really a threat. So I think Dorman did a good job of limiting the impact there. What I think PSG did, which I thought was pretty smart from Thomas Tuchel, was instead of going with the 4-4-2 that's really a 4-2-4, they went that with... works in Ligue 1. Yeah, they went with basically the mirror image of what Dortman were trying to do. Yes, right. So roughly 3-4-3 three, three mm-hmm. attacking. You could argue it's like a 3-4-2-1 attacking. But I think the key thing is when PSG defended, remember yeah. they're away from home here. They're mm-hmm. traveling to Dortmund. It was a 5-4-1, right? Yes. The fullbacks would come back and they would ask Neymar to play sort of left center mid. As you do. Uh, and they would ask Di Maria to play right center mid. So then 5-4-1, two central midfielders are Verratti and Idrissa Garnagay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... There's kind of a gap, but it's okay. And then Kylian Mbappe on his own up front, ready to be that sort of pacey counter-attacking threat. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, Mbappe didn't do much. Maybe his job was just to to be there as a threat to Dortmund's defenders. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. His existence was more effective than he actually was. His existence is a threat, yeah. yeah. And instead, what PSG did with the... Uh, they dropped Icardi, so they didn't go with the front two. Yeah. And, uh, That's the big tactical yeah. move from Tuchel, right? Mm-hmm. Icardi, we can't use you today. It's all about 5-4-1 counter-attacking right. pace. And so Marquinhos comes in and right there, yes, like Marquinhos has been out with injury, as has Thiago Silva, but when you've got both of them in there with Kimpembe, you've got a That's bit more, theory, right? yeah, you've got a bit more defensive stability and then you've got Mounier and Kurzawa who've been playing for them and you've sort of got that defensive stability of yep. five players across that line who can all do their jobs pretty effectively. And then at some points, Dortmund did the mirror image mm-hmm. defensive shape, right? And they dropped back. Their 3-4-3 three, three became yep. a 5-4-1. Basically, they've all been watching Wolves and they're like, Nuno's a genius, let's do what they do. Right. But then I think th- maybe... Right. The unint- I mean, that is what it all comes down to, is Nuno's a genius. I think the unintended consequence, though, of what Dortmund did defensively, of having those midfielders just be a little bit deeper, making sure that there weren't those, as many opportunities for Mbappe by just sitting off a little bit more. If he, if he eats spinach, he's Mbappe. That, he gets stronger. That's how it works. Um, but then you had uh, Erling Haaland a bit more isolated in that first half. Mm-hmm. And if you have the three center backs there, Thiago Silva was good about sort of sticking with him so that anytime you play it into Haaland, he doesn't really have time. He's got someone on his back. He's getting hassled. And he got knocked around a lot in that first half. He did, so which I, is kind of what you do to yeah, a teenager who exactly. hasn't played that much mm-hmm. Champions League football and you're Thiago Silva. Yeah, and then right? you don't give him many opportunities to kind of hold the ball up and turn and play it into Jaden Sancho. If you can limit his effectiveness as soon as he receives the ball or make it difficult for mm-hmm. him to even do that, then he can't really link up at all. And did you notice every time Jaden Sancho did have the ball and approach the PSG penalty area, there were always two mm-hmm. defenders on him. They double teamed him multiple, multiple times. He still got a couple crosses and a couple shots away. But nowhere near as effective as he would have been if you'd let him isolate someone 1v1. PSG were very good about it always being 1v2. Yeah. yeah. And so I, we're, we were sort of in jest saying, like, Torgan Hazard comes off, Giorena comes on, and that makes all the difference. But it is sort of the case that, like, you do have Giorena come on, Dortmund immediately score. It's not just because he's there. But I do think he moves around a bit more. I felt like Torgan Hazard stayed in the rough area of, like, where he was assigned, and you just saw him kind of making vertical runs yeah. a little bit. You didn't see him getting as involved 
in link-up play and combination play. I'll be and, honest, I didn't pay enough attention that, or notice yeah. him all that much, so I can't really say what he did pro or con. He but, might have done a good job of being in defensive shape. That may well be the case, but I think when we went back and watched bits and pieces of the first half, I didn't see, very key here, is him receiving the ball and turning at the same time and moving yeah. forward with it. Sancho was the threat, right? Yeah. Instead, we saw Gio Reyna do that a couple different times, and I think his movement, him going out wide, it opens up some space elsewhere. I'm not going to give him entirely the credit for the first goal, but credit for the first he's goal. on the field and it counts. Credit for the first goal. 69th minute, mm-hmm. scored by Haaland. Yep. Um, the credit actually goes to Guerrero, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. Yes. He was playing, what, left mid, left wing back, yep. whatever you want to call it, in this Dortmund system. And if you want to credit Gio Reyna, you can say, well, Reyna occupied the wide left mm-hmm. touchline, which, and then Guerrero had the bright idea of... I'm going to surprise PSG. Yeah. I'm going to make a sort of interior diagonal run and and just overpower them through the middle with a surprise run, which really is what happened. But, but like, think about what we were just talking about where Dortmund in the first half were trying to play the ball into Erling Haaland uh, and he has nobody around him, so he's trying to hold it up, but he's got a body on him, he's got defenders on him. He's It's basically he's going to bat, bat, battle for as long as he can. But because of this run from Guerrero, you can see uh, Emery Jean calls for Haaland to make that run. Yes. Haaland drops in, receives it, but his first touch is straight into the feet of Guerrero, who's made that internal. Just a run. one-time touch for Guerrero. But right? just having that little extra run, that no, that other player who's there to support and give him just another option, yeah. that was lacking in the first half. When it's there, yeah. it leads to a goal. Since we're breaking this down, can I just say how much I enjoy the idea of like Emre John being brought into this Dortmund team yeah. for experience and uh-huh. then literally being him gesturing like Keanu Reeves Matrix style yeah. to, uh, to <laughs> Erling Haaland yeah. about what he wants him to do. I think Haaland was probably there, just that play. He probably was, right? But I like the idea of the experienced mm-hmm. guy just asking the uh, talented teenager to just come a little yeah. deeper so I can find the ball to your face. I think Dortmund like him given that they made his deal permanent today. Did they really? <laughs> yes. After that moment. After that moment. So, <laughs> I like that idea. The, like mid-game they call his agent. Like, yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Haaland layoff mm-hmm. to Guerrero who's yep. made the interior run that is sort of... That's what's like... Uh, imbalance the whole mm-hmm. thing right as Guerrero joining the middle then am I right Guerrero uh, spreads it out wide to Ashraf Hakimi Sancho may be in there too but okay. yes the key point is that eventually he goes, to Hakimi he goes out wide. wide to Hakimi and Hakimi fires in a low cross a low pass mm-hmm. you think he's definitely aiming for Guerrero right? yes. and I trust you uh, straight into Guerrero's path and Guerrero has a shot mm-hmm. At goal, kind of. Yes. Oh no, it's on. It's on frame for sure. No, I'm saying it doesn't get there. Oh, it does not get there. But yeah, I think because the defense again have collapsed on Holland, who's leading the line, who's closer to the goal. Guerrero has found himself in that pocket of space. I give Hakimi the credit of being able to spot that. Plays yeah. it in. Guerrero gets the one-time shot. It's a good shot. It's on frame. But Marquinhos is there. Marquinhos blocks it into the path of Erling Haaland. It goes off Haaland and he's able to then get a foot to it, puts it in the goal, is onside when the shot uh, is taken. So he's onside shot, in yeah. general. But there's a key thing about that block from Marquinhos that you spotted. Do you remember what it was? Is it that Navas dives? Yes, that yeah. is exactly So Navas dives is. to save the Guerrero shot. Right. right? Marquinhos mm-hmm. via Haaland redirects it. So really Haaland has a somewhat easy finish because yep. Navas is already down for the count. Mm-hmm. But you consider, again, to, to the initial point, that Guerrero gets that ball... Initially, maybe in his own half out on the left wing and ends up driving forward, yeah. getting that shot and being the one to facilitate that goal. Worth noting that that is, after Dortmund uh, recollect possession, a 13-pass sequence from one side of the field to the other and mm. back and then back again. So good movement from Dortmund to go up 1-0. Less good on that uh, goal for PSG. So 75th minute, mm-hmm. um, Neymar Jr., yep. I believe he goes by, has the ball <laughs> in the back of the net. Um, the, the basics on this goal are that Kylian Mbappe picks up the ball uh-huh. in the like inside right channel 
goal, maybe 15, 20 yards yep. from the penalty area. Drives past Gio Reyna, um, somehow makes Dan Axel Zagadou fall over, yeah. um, and then uh, squares the ball to Neymar, who is wide open at the mm-hmm. far post, very much onside, because he's timed it correctly, uh, for a tap-in. Yep. Um, okay, this, is, this starts with Gio Reyna's defending. It does. It does. And it's Be- not ideal, right? Mm-hmm. He's like forgotten that Mbappe's there, shuffles over at the kind last minute. He hasn't, though, because he looks and checks and sees him there, but doesn't do the contrasting what he did with what Atleti were doing, where you'd have that kind of flat line of four. Giorgiana just stays a little bit further forward, and then I think at the last minute realizes, oh, shoot. I'm kind of out of position, but rather than get closer to Mbappe, he just drops in, and that gives Mbappe even more time and space on the ball. Right, and, but he does eventually go over mm-hmm. and get goal side and face up to Kylian Mbappe, and then Mbappe drives at yeah. him, right? Now, I genuinely, I'm not going to criticise Reyna for um, getting beat by Kylian Mbappe on the dribble, because... No. One, that's not Reyna's well, strong suit. Yeah. And two, there's much, much better defenders than Reyna get beat by killing Mbappe yeah. in the dribble. I'd even say Reyna somewhat um, redirects Mbappe out towards Guerrero yeah. and Zagadou. I think my only negative like, like mark against Reyna, aside from what we've already talked about, is just that when he does get to like a 1v1 standoff with Mbappe, I think you've just got to get a little bit closer and, be, too far and be a little bit more physical because Mbappe is that fast that when he does try to go around you, you've got to be able to give him a little bit of a bump. Maybe, yeah. maybe Reyna's still like, uh, remembering the bump he gave to Bender that led to a disallowed <laughs> goal, but I think that was maybe the only negative against it. At the time, when we first watched it, I thought maybe he should have done better. Maybe he gets beat entirely. I think a huge part of this is Dan Axel Zagadou and the way he reads this play. So he ends up just... He ends up vertical. Yeah. How does or horizontal? I know, I know he meant. Yeah. He ends up horizontal. He ends up on line, line on the floor. Yeah. Um, how does that happen? So I think he too is maybe unfamiliar with the speed of Kylian Mbappe. Mbappe, as he's rounding Reyna, takes a somewhat heavy touch uh, for everybody except for Kylian Mbappe. And I think Zagadou sees that, steps to it to try to kind of put put a foot through it and clear it. So he thinks that Mbappe's made a mistake, yeah. played it too far ahead of him. I can get this right. And so he's closing on it fast. And then I think as he's kind of putting his foot in to block that ball realizes I am oh, not going to win I this. I saw the 2018 World Cup. Yeah. Oh, he's real fast. And so I think he's trying to pull out of that sort of kick, uh, but it, because he's got all the physics enforced behind it, when he's trying to pull out, he's leaning back so he loses his footing, and instead of winning the ball, he doesn't, and instead kind of blocks off Gio Reyna, which now gives Kylian Mbappe even more space to look across to find Neymar, who's wide open for the goal. And he is wide open, mm-hmm. right? We went back and I rewatched Neymar, has found himself a little pocket of space outside of the area, and I think cleverly runs between what Piszczek and Hummels mm-hmm. and just exploits that tiny little gap Piszczek between definitely them. who like watches Neymar watches Neymar and then as Zagadou falls over Piszczek is just entirely focused on Mbappe and does not see the adjustment from Neymar so the old fashioned ball watching yes. basically he's kind of panicking that Mbappe's shredding through our defense I might have to go over and help so mm-hmm. you take your eye off Neymar but turns out Neymar is that, that's what makes Neymar yeah. free and I do think like to bring it home because it is Neymar scoring the goal but it's also Neymar as you said who found a pocket of space as well I, I think Maybe I'm going to give even more credit or less blame to Gio Reyna just because Neymar sort of takes up the same position as Mbappe in mm-hmm. the lead up to this goal. And I have to believe that Thomas Tuchel has identified that as if you guys drop in, there's more space or maybe those players individually have. But that Neymar is sort of roughly in the same position as Mbappe That's and true. is also open. And Sancho's on the inside of him. Yeah. It's Sancho doing the mirror image corresponding job. So it could be that the instruction is and just like redirect him wide yep. a little bit and the right centre back and the right back mm-hmm. will take care of it. But the we we didn't think about what Zagadou might do. Yes, we, they did not. Now here's where Zagadou Zagadou did that. <laughs> You're on fire today. Um, here's where I have a little bit of a lazy narrative. Maybe it's lazy, but I, I like 
I do kind of believe this. It's worth noting, Neymar scores. There's extended celebrations. They take their time getting back. Mm, it's 1-1. One, one, so they've, they've gone to Dortmund. They've got yeah. themselves 1-1. One, one. Yeah. They've got an away goal. Things are looking good. So that's the 75th minute. When when play resumes, we are in the 77th minute. And Haaland scores in the 77th minute. That's wow. the go-ahead goal. And my only thought is that maybe this is PSG sort of being like, ah, we scored. We're used to scoring. Like we, We've got the front foot. We're yeah. dominant now. We never, let it, we never let things slip in the Champions League. Never, never, or in the domestic competition either. Uh, and so maybe it's just them being a little bit lax, and it's, by contrast, Dortmund being very aware to the situation, and more specifically, it is Gio Reyna, to his credit, being very aware that uh, PSG have kind of switched off and not done a good job of tracking him across the field. Yeah, oh yeah, because he ends up, I've just realized this, mm-hmm. he comes on as the left winger, right? Yep. He ends up in like an inside right mm-hmm. position, puts his back to goal, and like gestures, I'm open. Yeah. And is it Matt Hummels is able to find him? Is yes. it Emery Jones? It's, hum- it's Hummels who splits like four people to find him. It's a great pass, but it's also worth noting because everybody will see that highlight. It will be the highlight of him turning, dribbling forward, playing the ball yeah. into Holland, and then Holland rifling that shot. Yeah. But it's worth noting That's the right word. that as soon as they cut back to play resuming, they want to focus on Sarabia, who's just subbed on for PSG so they can make it clear that PSG who's, has made who's that they, change. the TV? The TV, yeah. right. So you can't see kind of the play that's developing, but if you see Sarabia, he starts chasing somebody across the field, and it's because Gio Reyna has received the ball at midfield and continued to dribble, evaded both Sarabia and I think Marquinhos, that becomes a pattern, and then he lays the ball off. So mm. he has sort of facilitated the build-up a little bit by receiving under pressure, moving forward, and then dropping it back and that is why he finds himself in that pocket of space all right but what he does when Matt Hummel's placing the ball in that pocket of space to me this is the most impressive thing yes we always talk about the half turn mm-hmm. this is Giorena receiving the ball on the half turn because he's originally back to goal as the ball's coming towards him he goes sort of hips uh, square on mm-hmm. across the field and as he receives the ball he sort of with one touch is turned and is going at he's going at the PSG yep. defence in a way that for example Liverpool players were not going at the Atleti defence. No, right? not at all. He immediately starts going at them. And then uh, you notice this, right? That um, Thiago Silva is marking Haaland, mm-hmm. right? But at, because Reiner has started driving at the PSG defence, Silva has to kind of leave Haaland a little bit to try and come and close down mm-hmm. the, the oncoming storm that is Gio Reiner. Yeah. Um, and that's what opens up just enough space uh, for Haaland to receive the ball and have space to shoot. And then the way he receives that ball can we talk about that for a moment? Absolutely. Or do we want to sing more about Gio Reyna? Because I've got one more thing to say uh, well, in, yeah, in let's, praise, I tell you, let's, Gio Reyna. Let's stick with Gio Reyna for just okay. this next part. And then we'll focus on what Haaland does. Because I don't want to be too American-focused. Because what Haaland does yeah. is incredible. Well, I, I just I want to make the point that when Gio Reyna last came on in the second half against... I keep getting this confused. I believe Leverkusen is the game he comes on and kind of has a rough one. Doesn't really when go When he gets well in the wrestling match with Bender. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there were moments, especially as that game went on and he was losing confidence when he would be open and want the ball, but you could just see it was a very half-hearted appeal, sort of like, I'm open. Like, you could see him sort of just kind of gently gesturing, yeah. and here but like, you I watch, understand if you didn't give it to me on the new it, guy. It's, it's like, literally, he was saying that, and here you can see him, like, I want the ball to my feet. Like, he is calling yeah. for that ball from Hummels. Hummels. He gestures to his feet, right? Hummels is not aware of that being on. Hummels is aware of it because Giorena calls for it and gestures, and then Hummels shapes and plays that ball. Yeah. So just that little level of, like, I want the ball, play it to me, yeah. that's something we haven't seen from him or at least so didn't see from him recently. He's the new guy in the office who doesn't wait to be invited to lunch. He's like, hey, where are you guys going to lunch? Yeah. Cause, I'm, cause I'm, I'm coming, coming. you <laughs> and I'm going to bring the best lunch possible. And we're eating Portuguese American food. <laughs> All right. So uh, he takes his Portuguese American food, uh, drives for it, plays it into Erling Haaland, who is, I'm going to say this, Sarah, it's controversial. I think he's good. 
He he's sure a is. pretty good goal scorer. He sure is. But especially good here is the way, I mean, the shot itself is absurdly hit. Just the way it sounds when it hits the back of the net is chef's kiss, I believe is your terminology. But the way uh, Early Highland is able to make that happen is, yes, Tiago Silva has kind of drifted over to split the difference, but it's a good ball in from Reyna, but it would be easy for Holland to sort of wait and then take it with the inside of his right foot and kind of sweep it across, but that's going to slow down his momentum. And instead, he sort of does a slow-up stutter step so that when he receives the ball, it's sort of as he's re-engaging to move forward, and that first touches with the inside of his left foot, and he then takes it in a position where he takes it away from the defenders and is able to then hit it with that favored left foot perfectly. And it's just a really, really great sequence of movements inside of like a one second, probably. And it is the little things that mm-hmm. are the difference between um, Haaland and a talented uh, young teenager who maybe isn't getting to start for a Champions League team right now. Right. Right? I'm not yeah. naming anyone specifically. I'm mm-hmm. just saying that that's why um, mm-hmm. Haaland is able to play at this level. is because yes. he has the sort of game smarts and the technique to take that touch to create the shooting opportunity for himself. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, I know I always go to this, but it's it's Harry Kane stuff. Mm-hmm. It's the reason Harry Kane is so good is he's very clever yep. about that first touch to make space so you can shoot. That's the key at this level because space is so limited. Not bad for a 17-year-old making his debut in in the form of Gio Reyna and then not bad for another teenager uh, scoring even more goals yeah. in the Champions League. He's now 10 goals, I believe, uh, from both Salzburg and Dortmund. That takes him level with Robert Lewandowski. Ooh. That's good company to be in. It just occurred to me that Dortmund won this game with a teenage front three. Jaden Sancho's still a teenager, right? Oh, wow. That's absurd. Yeah. That's not bad. That's not, That's bad, not bad at, at all. all. It also just occurred to me that maybe two of the best, like, complete forwards in the world are playing in the Bundesliga right now for Dortmund and uh, Bayern Munich, which is why they're both top of the scoring tables in the Champions League. There we go. All right, so this game finishes 2-1 to Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Um, as with the Atleti-Liverpool game, it's in... Three weeks? Yes. Yeah, three weeks. March 11th, I believe. March 11th is the second leg. It'll be on a Wednesday because this one was on a Tuesday, correct? Yeah, um, okay. So lots to look forward to, especially because PSG, at some point in that game, will have to go for it. One would assume. Right? Yes. I think they'll still start a little conservative, but at some point they'll have to really, really go for it, and it'll be all Neymar's and Mbappe's everywhere. I think that will be... We'll, we'll talk more about that game as it gets closer, obviously, but I think the big indicator will be if Icardi is back in that lineup mm. alongside Mbappe, and you still have Neymar in there, and yep. Angel Di Maria, you're going to get a good indicator of what PSG are trying to do. Oh, okay, coming up tomorrow, mm-hmm. we have, from memory, um, I can't remember who's at home, even though we did the preview. I want to say it's Leipzig at home to Tottenham. Uh, I, that was your side of the group. Mine would be... Atalanta versus Valencia, Atalanta at home. Remember, Papu Gomez has no position, will go where he likes, and everybody will adjust accordingly. I also said on the weekend review, Atalanta are the team of half turns. They play <laughs> entirely on the half turn. They're super fun to watch. They're chaos personified, but in an organized way, I'm hyped for that game. It is, of course, Spurs at home to Leipzig. Of course. <laughs> so those two games are tomorrow. We will have reviews of both of the games just like we did today. And a very big update that we have not yet talked about uh, since we recorded uh, Sung. Hyung Min, uh, we I believe broke his arm. Is it was the report I saw today? Is out for the remainder of the season, so will definitely not be involved in that game. Uh, definitely not what Spurs fans would have been hoping for for no. that one. So how Jose Mourinho adjusts Ooh. and makes things happen, my guess is going to be that that is going to be a slightly duller game than Atalanta Valencia. We'll find out tomorrow. I doubt it is. Any game with Leipzig is never ever done. We shall yeah. see. So we'll watch those games tomorrow. Um, or also for more Total Soccer Show, mm-hmm. uh, we today before watching these Champions League games. 
we sat down with the guys, Elliot Engineer from River City 93, to do a review of the 1995 US Open Cup, in which, spoiler alert, the Richmond Kickers beat the El Paso Patriots um, on penalty kicks after a 1-1 draw. What if somebody out there is like really mad that you've just spoiled that? I I would love to hear from them, because that would be absolutely hilarious. I was saving that. (laughs) So go and find River City 93 Mm -hmm. if you want to hear a review of the US Open Cup final. Ira Jersey, if you want to hear about the stopper-sweeper system, that is the review for you. Forgot about that. Yeah. What's an offside line? They don't know. We don't know, because we're playing deep, deep sweepers um, on both teams. (laughs) Um, So yeah, River City 93, one more time, is the name of that podcast. Also um, published uh, this morning... MLS Assist, Joe and Jordan did the MLS Assist Western Conference preview, very specific predictions. I've already listened to it. It is good, good stuff. I highly recommend it. I I do too. Sight unseen, ears unseen, ears unheard, (laughs) whatever. Is unheard you recommend it. Yeah. I like it. Um, all right. So there's your recommendations. We will be back tomorrow. There's lots of podcast content for you there. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.